Hey, this is Abhi. And this is Faria. Welcome to the Manmukti Podcast, where we speak up about South Asian mental health. We're here to connect you with mental health professionals and those with lived experiences of mental illness. In this episode, we have Abhi Ravi Nutala and Buddy Tangela Moody speaking with Selma Veerbanks. After completing her degree at the University of California, Berkeley, Selma is currently pursuing a career as an artist exploring various issues, including mental illness. We'll learn from Selma about her own personal experiences with depression and what she feels others can learn from them. As always, we'll also hear about her thoughts on stigma in the South Asian community. Let's start with Abhi and Buddy. Hey everyone, just a quick warning before we get started. Some of the content in this interview is kind of sensitive. If any of you in the past are currently dealing with any sort of eating disorder, bipolar disorder, any sort of alcohol and drug addictions, we just want you to be aware that some of that content is in this interview. Thanks everyone for listening. Let's give the floor to Selma now. So my experience with mental health and when did that kind of start coming up for me and I guess when I was I think I was I was a teenager um and I was in about 13 years old so I don't know exactly what I forget what grade that is I want to say maybe around seventh or eighth grade maybe um Mm -hmm. and I think my first kind of experience with it was in the form of it of an eating disorder and um, like as a kid I was a I was a comfort eater there was like a lot of um, sort of dysfunction and abuse happening in my home sort of at the hands of my father and I became a comfort eater and, and to which point I ended up gaining a lot of weight and was picked on very heavily in elementary school um, and so that in middle school the most logical the most logical um, sort of response that I could think of or the most logical kind of course of action that I could think of to address my weight was to start binging and purging and also starving myself. Um, And that kind of set everything off was that whole, was the beginning of that at around age 12 or 13. And then in addition to the eating stuff came a lot of uh, cutting and self-mutilation um and just being really you know being really confused as to as to why I was behaving in these ways and not understanding cuz I, I you know I was kind of an overachiever I did very well in school um it was kind of assumed that I was going to do really good things with my life and you know and and then all these problems sort of began to arise and so I didn't understand why like nobody could really understand where this was all coming from um, and, of course, later on we realized where everything was coming from, that I was, you know, sort of dealing with trauma and that I had mental health stuff going on. Um, and then for me at that age, I was diagnosed um, with bipolar disorder, which has since been a diagnosis that has been, I don't want to say erased from my record, but it's been it's been disputed by multiple doctors since then. And even I have, have kind of felt like, yeah, no, I don't think I have um, bipolar disorder um, I feel like I've definitely have dealt with depression, um, mm-hmm. obsessive, obsessive compulsive disorder um, has also been something that kind of switches forms for me throughout, has switched forms for me throughout my life. Um, 
but I finished school and, you know, the problem just kind of continued. The bulimia kind of continued to, to kind of just go on through middle school and high school. Mm-hmm. And then I got to college and, um, you know, I got to college and then I got to, I kind of began to experience um, abusive relationships. And that was especially hard uh, because, um, you know, I was on my own. I wasn't ready mm-hmm. for an experience like college. Like I was 18 and still in my eating disorder and still in, in these behaviors and I just, I was not ready. And so then I ended up kind of entering into a few relationships that were very abusive and one in which was particularly very abusive um, mm-hmm. that I was in and out of for years. And I think the hardest thing for me was that, you know, I was like it, on this college, I went to UC Berkeley. So I was on this college campus where there were all these activists and these women who were these like hardcore feminists and these like strong women of color and strong black women and strong South Asian women. And there were all of these, you know, groups and that were, you know, geared toward this very, these very, you know, hardcore ideals of like women's empowerment and women's liberation and, and me wanting to be a part of that and feeling those values, but then still being drawn back into these abusive relationships and feeling judged, right, by the people that I was in these communities with who didn't understand, right, that it, it, it like, I couldn't control my urge to, like, want to continue to hurt myself. Um, and that's kind of how I describe it is that, you know, as someone who's dealt with addiction and has mental illness, like, I'm kind of wired or predisposed towards self-destructive tendencies, mm. Um and that includes, like, relationships, so, like, the highs and lows of, like, abusive relationships and, like, mm. you know, going back to something that clearly, like, it's insanity, right? It's the insanity piece that they talk about yeah, in yeah. addiction and, mm-hmm. and um, like, going back, doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. And so I was in these feminist groups and these activist communities at Cal and, but, and, like, you know, feeling like I had to be one person in these groups, but then I was, like, going back into this relationship and was still in my bulimia. So I felt like a lot of the values that I had did not match what I was actually doing in my real life. And that, mm. of course, like, perpetuates more shame and perpetuates more, right, this, this idea that, like, I'm either empowered or I'm not empowered, like, as a woman. Like, right. I'm either doing X, Y, and Z or I'm not. Like, and if I'm not doing those things and I'm not an empowered woman and I'm not any of these things and... Like, I don't belong in these groups. And, like, and like being able to change that narrative of, like, you can be a woman who believes in women's empowerment and believes in all of these, you know, amazing things and believes in, you know, anti-racism, and belie- but, like, but, but still struggles, right? Like, but it's still a human. And, like, it's still right. someone that, that, like, is flawed and is, like, the product mm-hmm. of this system, right? And, like, may That's struggle true. with being in and out of abusive relationships and may struggle with, hurting themselves and eating disorders and all of that. So I was really conflicted with, like, you know, what do, like, like really ashamed of my behavior, but still, like, mm. not being able to control my compulsive, my impulses to, like, be in these situations. Um, and, you know, a lot of domestic violence stuff. And then eventually, you know, I found drugs and alcohol, and the spiral really began. Um, and, you know, there were a lot of, you know, I, I did a lot of stays at psychiatric units um, in the Bay Area while I was up there and um, situations that generally involved me and men, but I was the one that usually ended up um, being taken to the hospital um, mm. and being, you know, being held in custody or, or what have you. And, and, mm-hmm. 
And at, during this time, like, I also had decided, like, I didn't want to be on medication because being on, on medication also, I was on medication in high school that was, like, sedating me or, or making, or giving me the hot, like, it was getting me high. So I, there, I realized that there was kind of, like, you know, I'd take medication for my mental health, but then it would trigger, like, this addiction piece. Um, hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and then... Um, so I left college. I was up in, uh, up in Berkeley for four years, two of, mm-hmm. of which those years I spent actually being a student and the, the remaining two I spent just basically being a drug addict. Um, and, you know, that was basically just kind of what I did. And, um, and I thought that, you know, I didn't realize that I was a drug addict. And so I didn't realize that, uh, what I was doing was not normal in a sense. Mm. So like I didn't, I thought that, I thought that I was just a bad person. Um, I thought that I just was inherently kind of like a bad person or uh, incapable or not able to do, you know, to live life. Like like I would, I would look at Facebook and see my friends graduating and going on to grad school and, you know, having successful, healthy relationships and, you know, being with their parents. And I just was like, why can't I seem to do these things? Like something must be wrong with me inherently that I just can't do these things. Like I'd rather sit here and do drugs, you know, all day um, and do them by myself or, you know, I'd, you know, waking up and, 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 and drinking, you know, 40 ounces of malt liquor was pretty standard um, my last year of, of using and um and then my parents came and pretty much rescued me from Berkeley um put all my stuff in the back of a truck and drove me down and I you know picked withdrew in the back seat of a car with my my little brother sitting next to me um which I'll never forget and then you know we got down back down to LA and um I went to go my mother knew something was not right with me I mean when she hugged me when I she picked me up in Berkeley. I reeked of alcohol, apparently. I mean, I didn't, I wouldn't know, right? But she was just like, you reek of, of like, hard liquor. And, mm. um, like, it was, like, in my pores. And, like, I hadn't slept in maybe a week, I think, at that point um, from the mm-hmm. drugs that I was using. Um, and we got back down to L.A. So she sent me back to the woman that which had been previously treating me for my eating disorder when I was in high school, um, and she was like, so you now, you're now in a new territory. You're now a drug addict and you need to get clean. And when you get clean, your eating disorder is going to come back. So I'm going to need you to come and see me when you get clean because your eating disorder is going to come back. And I was like, no, like my, cause I, cause I had been using so much and my eating disorder just kind of went away. And I didn't realize it at the time, but it's cause I had switched addictions pretty much. Okay. Um, okay. Wow. yeah, I pretty much managed to switch like, one for another, and the drug addiction was so powerful that I really didn't need anything else. Like, it was the first time that I felt like I didn't need a boyfriend, I didn't need anybody, I didn't need friends. Like, it was the first time that I felt really like I can be on my own, by myself, as long as I have my drug of choice with me. Um, And so I ended up in a treatment center in Pasadena, California, and, um, and, you know, I stayed there for 18 months, and I was introduced to, you know, a 12-step program, and, um, you know, I got a I got a sponsor, and I worked a step, and I had a lot of support, and, of course, as was predicted previously, like, my eating disorder did resurface, so, mm-hmm. 
So, you know, then I ended up having to – and so then I ended up entering – I spent a year and a half of my of my first – my first year and a half clean, I spent, like, again, back in my bulimia and was like, what's going on? Like, I'm – I don't want to do this anymore. I want to be happy and healthy and clean and, like, not throwing up ten times a day. It's like, why can't I – and I didn't want to stop. That was the difference when I was – when I was a teenager, I enjoyed it. There was something that I enjoyed about the binge purge cycle. And then clean, there was nothing I enjoyed about it, but I couldn't stop. I couldn't, like, I was mm-hmm. and I was out of control. Like, I had no control mm-hmm. over it. Um, and mm-hmm. then a friend of mine took me to, like, a, a food-specific 12-step program, and I was able to get abstinent through that program for my eating disorder. Mm-hmm. So I actually just, so and on August 13th, I took... I had three years of recovery from my eating disorder, and yesterday I just celebrated five years of clean time from my active drug addiction. Awesome, and, congratulations! Um, thank you. Yeah, I was, that's kind of like the five is the big is like a big deal. It's like the the number uh, where you're no longer new, like you're you've been around for a while. Mm. Um, and for me, you know, I think one of the biggest things that I've realized, you know, and like and and on my journey through recovery, it's it's been a lot about, like, what, what has worked for me has been, like, 12-step programs. Um, and just the work that I get to do in a 12-step program is really what does it for me. Like, I, I do have a diagnosis of major depressive disorder and OCD that's still, you know, something that I, something that I don't argue with too much. The bipolar disorder, I'm like, no, I don't really feel that I'm bipolar. Um, I have friends that are. I've seen it in action, and I don't believe it's what I have. I do, I do deal with depression, um, mm-hmm. and I do deal with OCD, um, more so like on the obsessive side of things. Um, and you know, even in even in that, like the twelve steps have helped me to kind of work through those things and to kind of turn over my obsessions and turn over like my feelings and just to accept that they're temporary and that they go away. Um, uh-huh. And I think one of the things that the 12 steps has really been has really been great for me is that, you know, it, it's helped me to kind of clean house and to get honest about what are the things, what are the behaviors that I engage in that don't work for me, that I have somewhat control over, that I could choose to act differently on, right? And right. Um, also, like, the honesty piece is that I feel like, you know, not just in, you know, South Asian culture, but, like, I'm also half black, right? And so, like, right. even in, in the black community, um, South Asian community, Asian American community, I feel like in a lot of different communities, um, Latino community, like, there is this stigma about talking about mental health. And I think overall, in general, the culture that we have is that, you know, as a result of things like capitalism and racism and sexism and patriarchy and, like, all of the all of the things that, kind of define strength and define, you know, capability or ability is like mm-hmm. we, you know, we don't want to talk about our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses and the things that we struggle with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like I was just texting with a friend a minute ago who, you know, I just I just posted like a GoFundMe because I'm going on this big trip in, in October. And mm-hmm. in my GoFundMe, I talk about having mental illness. And, like, how, like, this trip is about, like, me using my experiences through mental illness and and, and art to help other people heal their mental illness or, like, to cope with their or to accept what's going on with them. 
And she was like, I, whoever said that you had mental illness, whoever, and I was like, here's the deal. Like, I'm not ashamed to admit that I have a mental illness. Like, yeah. there's no shame in that for me. You know what I mean? Like, there's, it, it's become this word or this phrase that we can't say or that we can. Right. It's like, right. oh, my God, mental illness, right? And it's, yeah. and it's like, no, like, we all kind of deal with some kind of mental illness to some degree or another, but that word has just become so taboo, right? Like, when you yeah, hear yeah. it, it's just like you don't, you want to, you don't want to be associated with it. Yeah, especially um, culture is so hostile to women nowadays. Yeah, right? It's like the idea, and like, you know, I've, I've definitely have been called like a crazy bitch or a crazy woman, right? And like, all exactly, of these things, yeah. and a lot of it having to do with because, like, I'm, I I also present as being very confident today, and I'm 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 mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm loud, and I don't I don't back down, and so I'm crazy, right? Yeah. Um, or like yeah. I'm aggressive, or I'm assertive, and so I must there's something must be wrong with me. Yeah, but yeah, I yeah. think yeah, right, and it's like and it's like for me it's like the word abusive, right? Like we hear the word abusive, and it's such a strong word that we don't want to be associated with it. But at one point or another in all of our lives, we either have been abused or have been abusive, right? It's a very common experience to have experience or to, like, be the performer of abuse. But because we hear that word and it's such a taboo word, we don't want to hear it and we don't want to deal with it. And when we don't want to hear it and deal with it, we don't deal with it in our daily lives and how we perpetuate it, right? So when we're, like, scared of these taboo words and we're scared of, like, mental illness, abuse, and, like, all of these other things, and we run from them, that actually creates an atmosphere where we're not addressing them and how we mm. perpetuate the taboo and how we, like, may be suffering or how we may be, may be perpetuating abuse or not, not trying, not being accepting of someone else's mental illness, you know, or someone else's mental, mental health issues and the limitations that are on that. So I think, mm-hmm. like, for me, one of the biggest, you know, one of the biggest ways in which we can, like, address mental health is, like, we have to be willing to acknowledge that it exists, right? Stop being mm-hmm. afraid of it. Stop running from it. Stop acting yeah. like it doesn't exist around you. Don't pretend mm-hmm. that you don't even have it yourself. Like, you may be struggling and you don't even know it. You know what I mean? And, like, getting honest exactly. and getting authentic about, like, what we struggle with as human beings is always, like, it's like a Facebook feed. Like everything is happy, 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 happy. Like my and it's like no. Like I want to hear your shit. Like I want to. I want to see your messy parts. I want to see where you mm. struggle. Right. I want to mm. see where like you like had a really awful day or where you felt really, really, really insecure. Like I want to hear about all of these. I want to hear about like you being sad or you because I don't want to because I, I I feel these things and the mm-hmm. more that I don't see them the more alien I feel as someone who right. struggles with mental illness right so right. like I have no problem posting things about like my addiction issues and my eating disorder history and like all these things on my Facebook feed because it's like well this is part of who I am this of is course. me and if you're gonna be my friend or be a part of my life, you're going to be a part of these things, too, and you're going to know these things. Right. Um, yeah. So that's kind of like, you know, it's just we have to be in a, in, a, in a space of willingness to, like, remove, like, the fear and the taboo and, like, recognizing that, like, 
the system, the system, and what I mean by the system is like, you know, capitalism and patriarchy and all of these, all of these, you know, larger systems, like, they don't want you. The, 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 the medical industry that's making tons of money off of, like, people's problems, right, they don't want us to talk about these things. Right, right. Because right. the minute that we start talking about them and we're helping each other, then it's like... Yeah, it's like it puts people, it, you know, it's, it's no, it's like it, it becomes, once we humanize the experience, then it's no longer like a capital, right? It's no longer a monetary, you know, situation, monetary experience or a monetary gain. Like it becomes a human mm-hmm. thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Awesome. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I got to say, so awesome that you can still talk openly about this. And, um, and thank you for that, by the way. Um, Yeah, thank you so much for sharing. I know that's not easy, and uh, I think you really covered, like, a lot of things we were hoping to learn from you just in terms of how you you dealt with it, like, what your journey was, and then how you you dealt with it organically, as well as how you dealt with it in terms of, you know, being a member of the biracial communities and stuff. So, again, thank you so much for uh, kind of shedding light on all that. You're welcome. Yeah, I'm really happy that you all asked for this interview and like yeah i'm totally always open and super transparent to like share any of my experiences you know if it helps somebody else to like want to get help or to want to even begin to look at truths about themselves like i'm totally open to that you know like mm. my life is pretty much going to be from here on out about like helping people and helping people with and, the yeah open about yeah, like being open is, you know, the first step in recognizing that, you know, it's okay, I have a problem. It's all right, mm. you know. Yeah. There's help. There's help available. So let, I, let me just wanna... ask one quick question. Um, I, I know mm-hmm. you, men- you mentioned just a minute ago that you, you're comfortable sharing, like, parts of yourself regard- in regards to your mental health on social media or it's Facebook or whatever, and, and you see that as a part of your life. How How have you gone about doing that? What was, like, how did you defeat the initial reaction of people, you know, being kind of shocked or being kind of, uh, I, I guess I get taken aback or kind of not really knowing what to, and you, I must, I guess a lot of people must not have known what to do when you shared that kind of information, right? They must have felt like, you know, I want to help or I want to like say something, but I don't really know what to do. So I guess how, I'm, I guess I'm kind of asking like, how did you make that okay within your social circle and how did you kind of coach your friends about how to um, be okay with that and how to respond when you share something like um, I think for me, it was like, you know, I think for me personally in my experience, like, I think when I was out there using and when I was in my addiction and when I was in my eating disorder, it was so, like, public and visible anyway. Like, I was so out of control that, like, if you knew me prior, like, pre-2011, you probably, like, you knew that I had a problem, right? Like, it wasn't a secret that I had a problem, um, and that was just me. Like, my, like, I was just so messy and all over the place that, you know, like, you, you could spot me a mile away. Like, I had, there was a lot of issues. There was a lot, there was a lot going on that, like, that a lot of people witnessed. And so when I got better and was kind of living this new life and wanted to kind of share about it, it was more so to kind of, like, let those people know, like, I'm okay now, you know? Um, okay. And, and sometimes there is, and, and I don't know, it's like, I just personally, like, I, I there, are, there are a few times where I'm kind of iffy to use my recovery story 
only because I don't want to be seen as trying to, like, gain something from it, right? Like, I made this mm-hmm. GoFundMe, and I put my addiction story in the GoFundMe, but I was kind of like, I don't know, I don't want to come off as using my recovery as a way to kind of, like, you know, bring stuff, but also recognizing that, like, part of what I want to do, like, that his, that history is, like, is universal and is actually relatable to what I'm actually trying to do and what I'm asking for in my GoFundMe. Um, and... You know, I just, I personally, like, you know, I just, I really have had no problem sharing it with people. Um, And if people have questions or if people want to know, like, I generally have gotten pretty good responses from people, you know. Mm. Um, And it's all really been a matter of, like, how I carry, like, not how I carry myself, but, like, you know, when I talk about it, I don't, I don't, I'm not talking about it as something to be ashamed of. I'm like, yeah, you know, like I don't drink and I don't use drugs and, oh, how come? Like, why not? It's like, oh, you know, it's just, it makes my life easier. You know, like, oh, well, what do you mean by it makes your life easier? It's like, oh, well, you know, I'm a recovering addict. And for me, when I use drugs and alcohol, it makes my life unmanageable. And so it's just, you know, like I have a, I have a, I have a better life, just not, not using, you know? So it's like the yeah, way sure. in which I, yeah, like, I, the way that I talk about it, like, I don't talk about it, like, you know, like, I'm an addict, like, I don't want to talk about it. It's like, it's not something that I'm ashamed of. It's, I think mm. for me, it's just like, I've, I've been able to really just remove the shame from it. So it's not mm. something that I ever really have had a hard time sharing with people and talking about. Because you also never know who you're going to, like, help. Like, I've shared it with some people who were like, oh, my God, like, I think my sister has a problem. Like, can I talk to you? Can I get some information from you? Or, oh, my God, I think I might have a problem. Can I talk to you? Like, I've that's how those conversations have kind of started for me is with me being so kind of not casual, but like almost kind of like very clear, like, yeah, like I'm clean. And that's something that, you know, that that's very important to me. And if you want to know why, Mm -hmm. here's why, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't go around advertising it, right. I'm not giving out information (laughs) freely, but if somebody asks me, I have no problem Mm -hmm. telling them why Mm -hmm. or how, you know? Mm Yeah. Yeah. Got it. I got it. Hey guys, just a quick reminder, you guys are awesome. Thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. guys thanks for coming back hope you had a nice break you're still awesome of course let's move on to the second part of the episode um i'm, I'm curious like how easy is it to to like divide like because i think culture shares some of the blame for kind of the the mental pressure it inflicts on women um so how do you how do you kind of like how do you separate you know confronting your issues as your own as, and and then confronting uh i guess the kind of say the bur- the obstacles that society imposes on you because you're a woman because you're black and because you're mixed race or whatever how do you how do you separate those two things how do you know what's uh what you can criticize society for and what you can confront on your own how do you separate those things yeah that's yeah like that's something that i've actually been asking myself like what's mine and what's not right like what are my issues and 
you know, I think some of the things for me that have been coming up lately, um, like around like my self care and like my self love is like not feeling lovable, not feeling wanted, feeling unwanted, mm-hmm. um, not feeling, you know, that I, you know, feeling powerless in a lot of situations, um, mm-hmm. feeling kind of, what's another thing that's kind of come up? That's kind of come up for me. Um, feeling as though in order to get my points across, I have to kind of, you know, get get a little bit loud or be super assertive or kind of engage mm-hmm. in ways that will get attention, you know, like just, like there there have been some things that have, come, that have been coming up for me lately and like trying to think like what is and what isn't mine. Um, mm-hmm. And it's so complicated because it's like, especially with the feeling unwanted and feeling unloved and feeling unheard and feeling invisible piece, it's like, well, we could say that, like, you know, systematically that those are things that, you know, I could, that, that you know, a woman of color or a black woman could experience on a structural level because of living in a society that really doesn't value blackness or value women. And, like, putting that together right. is, like, you're completely unvaluable, Right. But then also, like, in speaking to my personal experiences of having a father that, like, you know, that, you know, left the picture when I was 16 and, you know, the kind of, like, dealing with the issues that came up with that and then kind of being a part of a mixed-race family and, and, like, not really, like, and, like, my, my my Sikh Punjabi grandparents not really knowing what to do with me or how to, like, you know, loving me, but, like, not really knowing what to do with me because I was, like, this you know, black child um, that they weren't expecting. And, mm-hmm. um, but again, like that being brought back to like race and, and gender. And I don't know, it's like, it's, it's really hard for me. It's really hard for me personally to decipher what is mine and what, and like, what is the systems? Um mm-hmm. Because it's like both, like both anything that comes up for me could have a tie to like my family history, and also has a tie to the system. So mm-hmm. I think it's kind of like this double-layered kind of situation where it's like you know I choose to work through things personally, you know, mm-hmm. like I choose to work through things on like the interpersonal level of like it's it's a lot harder for me to like it's easier for me to kind of face or like in the in the in the myth of Salma's unlovable and Salma's unwanted, it's mm-hmm. e- it's it's easier for me to see the lie in that via like well like your father left because he was because he because of his own issues right not because of you right so right, it's easier right. for me to kind of confront those issues on mm-hmm. a me kind of level. Um, Mm. and then like on a system kind of level, it's been easier for me to kind of confront those issues within the context of like a group setting or, you know, talking with other women of color, other South Asian women, other mixed race women, other black women. Um, Mm. yeah. So that's kind of, it's, it's still, you know, it's still, it's, it's confusing, right? It's like, it's the confusing piece Mm, of like, is this, is this, is this upsetting me as Salma or is this upsetting my identity as a black woman, South Asian woman? Like, like what's being upset right now? Like what's being kind of triggered, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Wow. Thanks so much. It's, uh, wow. I personally, I got a lot of insight from that. Um, uh, thanks so much again. It's, um, kind of, kind of thinking like just we we wanted to make sure that you know like you know when we create this site that 
people can't like you know when they because identity is such a huge part of mental health that that uh, they're able to you know deal with it healthily uh, in a healthy way and whatnot. So just uh, so thanks so much. Um, You're welcome. And uh, just a one last question for you, and I'll let you go. I promise. Um, we just wanted to know, like this is our, our question for every everybody we interview. What would you like to see? Uh, if we, like, just as a mental health resource, you as a South Asian woman or, and, and a, or you know, like a South Asian black woman mixed race, what would you like to see happen? What would you like to see our community do to address these uh, issues of mental health so young people don't feel like the therapy, that they're alone, that they're isolated? What would you like to see? Would you, what would you like to see as, you know, kind of a program? Um. I would definitely really be into like peer peer kind of like peer to peer kind of counseling or peer to peer kind of one on one sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know for me that like you know part of like mental health is like right like the standard is going in and seeing a therapist who may or may not have any idea of what you're going through. You know, or sitting down with a with a mental health professional who you know is who has all the good intentions, right? But still, is it's it, there's like a disconnect, right? right? So, you know, I think one thing that I'm that's really worked for me in like twelve step recovery is um, like peer to peer, like the power of like the, we say we say that the power of one addict helping another is without parallel, right? So like the the power of like one person helping another is without parallel and by person meaning somebody who who shares in my experience or somebody who understands in my experience and then you know um really making sure that like sometimes you know the things that are triggering our mental health and our mental illness are things that in and of itself are really shamed right like like Mm -hmm. the idea of talking about relationships i know for women and like women in my in my circle of friends and that i've known it's like oh i know that i shouldn't this shouldn't be bothering me but like this relationship issue was bothered it's like the idea that like like relationship shaming is something that i guess i would call that that like you know deeming certain issues or certain kind of situations is not worthy of being a problem or not worthy of being, you know, problem enough to have caused you whatever anxiety or pain you're going through. And so really Mm -hmm. making sure that there's like a creation of spaces that like don't, you know, in like people can, it's like the situation is that like you got into fight with your boyfriend or your partner or whoever. And like, that's triggering something for you. Like you should be able to talk about that regardless of how, stupid you may think it is, you know, because there are mm-hmm. things that, you know, people see as not being good enough to talk about. Um, so, yeah, just, like, really being mindful. Like, so peer, peer-to-peer kind of counseling or peer-to-peer sessions, peer-to-peer work, um, and then, like, the welcoming of all and any, you know, stories or the welcoming of all and any problems and, like, having language that's all-inclusive and that isn't just aiming to help one kind of story or one kind of illness or one kind of situation that like mental illness can come in all different kinds of forms big and small you know and that it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be this big gigantic thing to be considered right like mental illness or mental health crises. 
Hey guys, if we could take a moment to ask for just a little bit more of your time and love to rate our podcast on iTunes or shoot us a review, we'd greatly appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening, and if you want to continue the conversation, visit our website at madmukti.org or connect with us on social media. We'll see you next time.